Hey guys, welcome to the shit show of my 20s. On this episode, I spoke with Asha, and we actually spoke for two hours before we did this interview together. I had such a great time talking with her. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this episode. It's incredible what she's been able to accomplish. I mean, like her story from going from dealing with debilitating social anxiety, not being able to get out of the house, just speaking on stages, and all the things she's doing now, you know, you look at her and you don't see that. You never th- would have thought, oh, she has dealt with that in the past. And her work now, she's helping women all over the world with their anxiety. It's incredible. And we go into personality types, Enneagram, relationships, anxiety, and so much more. So I hope you guys enjoy listening. Thank you, Asha, for joining me today. I'm so excited to talk about your story. I'd love to talk about the beginning. So tell me, how did you get to the place you are now? And what different careers have you had so far? Thank you so much for inviting me, Sophia. So um, I currently work with people who struggle with social anxiety and agoraphobia and help them basically overcome this and start how to teach them how to live life you know freely and confidently and learn how to make genuine connections with the people around them and the way i started was i actually started in something completely different i was a copywriter and growth strategist in blockchain five years and then um i was good at my job but i really i noticed that i the thing i enjoyed the most was actually um understanding and trying to break down the personalities of the people I work with and work around, right? I really enjoyed asking the right questions and trying to figure out and piece things together and create a map of every single person that was around me, whether I was at work or not. So 90% of my, my, my bandwidth, my mental bandwidth was actually spent into thinking like, hmm, I wonder why, I wonder, you know, all these things about people and how they work. And so once I quit my last gig, I was like, you know what, I, pro- I should probably do this as a full-time thing because I, this is something I'm not only passionate in, but like, I'm also pretty good at it because I've been spending all my time doing it. So um, what I did was I started, I wanted to become a coach for women who were struggling with confidence issues and didn't know how to really care themselves in order to make uh, a lot more money, request for a lot more money. And it comes to, um, you know, putting themselves forward in front of things, doing things that scare them, uh, asking people for, for example, like how to charge yourself, how to, how to, uh, you know, be in front of like client and basically put forward a persona that allows you to, you know, say I'm charged two, three times more than you usually charge and have them be like, of course, absolutely. You know? So I wanted to help women get to that place confidently, naturally, and, and most importantly, as authentically, because I did it myself, you know, and I was, I, I started charging two, three times, even five times more than what I usually charge within a span of five years. And I'm only, and I haven't, I wasn't even 24 by then. So I was really enjoying what I was doing, except I noticed that when I was talking to these women, when they mentioned anxieties, I, I got a little, my ears poked up a little more than usual. And then I realized, I, I kind of remembered that, I had a whole life before with crippling social anxiety that I kind of forgot about in a way because I have put so much effort in overcoming it that I was like, oh my goodness, you know where I can, my, my help can really make a big, big impact in social anxiety because it's a much, much tinier niche, but it's something that I know that I struggled with. It's something I've been, like had since I was a kid. And so I decided to just pivot um, and and just start working with people who struggle with social anxiety, avoidant personality disorder, agoraphobia, because it came from a, a place of just complete understanding. And the same thing was, it was the same thing with women, but with women, there was a much bigger market. There's a lot of women who also were helping other women doing what I was doing as well, right? But I knew when it came to social anxiety, it was just, there were not as many people working on it. So I was like, this is where I want to spend most of my time, you know, like helping. So that's how I ended up here. And in the beginning, you say you'd like talk to your coworkers and try to figure out like their personality and you'd ask them different questions. What questions were you asking Mm -hmm. them? So the biggest thing I, as someone who struggled with social anxiety, I think because of that, I didn't know how people talk to each other from a, since I was a young kid, I was like, what? 
how do people make friends? What is how do you talk to someone when you're trying to order food? Like basic things, I just could not even get. It was just things that were intuitive to people and uh, children were just not intuitive to me. And as a result, I would try asking questions. I had to I had to build it up from scratch, like how the interaction you know like take place. If I had to figure it out myself, and so. It wasn't about the specific questions. It was the perspective I went into it. So after working on it so much, basically any time I talked to any single person, the perspective I had was that after this interaction, I'm going to assume I'm going to write a short story about them. So what do I need to ask? So it's not if I'm going to write a short story about someone I meet. It can't just be oh this person works as an accountant in a law firm and then uh, she likes playing volleyball on the weekends. It's boring, right? A short story would be very boring if all you wrote was just what they did. Right? But you want to know the backstory. You want to know why they got there, how they got there, and you want to know their feelings throughout the whole thing. And that was the perspective I ended up going towards, where it just helped me so much asking the right questions. So, for example, I would work with someone, and I would say, "Oh, how was your weekend?" Right? It's a very like you know like basic conversation question, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then they would tell me something, and I would be like, "Oh, how or why did you decide to do that?" And I mean, it wouldn't. Right now, it sounds really like uh, it sounds very like an interview, but because I'm trying to come up with it on the spot, but that when it actually is happening, it's just very much it's fluid, and it's just asking like the question, like the trying to figure out like their feelings, their their what motivates them to do what they do, and that's the kind of questions I ask. And what I do when I ask these questions is all the answers go into this map of them. And so it would be questions like a lot of how questions, a lot of why questions. So the what questions are what I would call um, small talk questions. What do you do?、Uh, you know, what are your hobbies? What do you do for work? What do you do when you're free? Those are the what are the are the are pretty much like yeah your basic conversation, your small talk questions. And that's great. Small talk is great because it gives you an entryway into something deeper. And so once you ask the what questions, just straight away go to the why. So why did you decide to do that? Or how did you get to that? You know what I mean?、Mm-hmm. And for someone like who's a great conversationalist, naturally they would find this very weird because they're like, you know, it's but because it comes naturally to them. But for someone who struggled with social anxiety, it is like、uh, it's just heaven later to find out because you realize, oh my goodness, there's a structure I can follow. And I don't have to just be, you know,、um, so in the dark and feel like I have no idea what I'm doing when I'm talking to someone.、Mm. And what helped you the most with your social anxiety? What helped me the most?、Um, it that it's very hard. It, it's basically working.、Um, basically, being very methodical with my approach into like. It was like it was basically not being okay with like it's so people when they realize they have a problem.、Um, naturally, what I've noticed is even with myself, I sometimes I do it other things. Just like okay, I have a problem, and you kind of ruminate in the problem. Maybe you put some effort to try to figure out where or how this problem started, but it's not methodical. And it's sort of the back of your mind, you want to fix it, but you're just like、mm, I don't know. I guess I mean I'll look into it. Occasionally, you'll read some articles. And I think the biggest thing that I did for my social anxiety was become very analytical and methodical about it. I had to understand the whys, the hows, and then be like, okay, this is the steps I need to take. And that was the biggest. It was just that 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 approach into do into my social anxiety that helped me the most. And I'd love for you to talk about enneagrams and like what they are, how we can use them. Oh, so basically, yeah.、Um, so I so. With the social anxiety, right? When I I would figure out, I, I told you as you know,、uh, when I was working blockchain personally and out in in work, I would create maps of people, and some people found this really creepy. But you know, the people who were close to me found this very endearing. So I would have like a whole page of like just the inside and out of this person. I mean, a page doesn't seem like a lot, but it was enough for me because of bullet points just for me. And、um, I would write like thought patterns. I would like, hmm, I notice this person tends to do this. It was just very much. I was trying to create a map of them, and when I found the enneagram, I realized that the enneagram, the way it、um, approached categorizing humans and people, was through their motivation, to their whys, and I got hooked instantly because that was a very similar to how I was approaching my friends and 
and acquaintances and colleagues and how I was categorizing them. Clearly not as not nearly as well as they did because they did like it's like decades of work of you know of uh, yeah work but but for me it was just like it was just mind blowing because oh my goodness there's some there's something that's legitimate and something that's so um so like powerful that somehow was it's similar to what I instinctively do and it was just so exciting for me because especially coming from a place where I was just this. I would say I was socially stupid for so long that to feel that slight validation of oh my god I'm doing something right for once it felt really good it felt really nice and so the Enneagram um, it's basically a personality model and it is divided into nine personality types on the overview basically it's nine personality types it gets a lot more nuanced than that there's such thing as wings and levels of development and subtypes. But overall, the Enneagram says nine different types of personalities in the world. And the way the Enneagram goes about categorizing these personalities is just saying uh, it's one simple thing. It's your basic fear and basic desire. And this is what I loved about the Enneagram because with Myers-Briggs and all the other personality models, it's great for very specific reasons. But I always found that the way they categorize their, like, their, their, their personality types was just so not very intuitive for people. Like I, when I see like INTJ, I just, it was so not, it just wasn't intuitive for me. You know, it was hard to pick up. Um, whereas when you tell me someone is motivated by, by um, peace and their biggest fear is conflict, it just sounds, it, it became very, something I could easily pick up and be like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. That would, that would, be, I, I could pinpoint some people who act that way. And it was something that when after meeting someone, I would have a sense like hmm, this person seems to be motivated by success, which is also a type, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so Enneagram was just very intuitive and I picked it up and um, it is one of the tools I'm using to teach people how to understand other people because I mean, even someone who is not does not have social problems uh, would greatly, greatly benefit from learning the Enneagram because it uncovers a lot of negative habitual patterns that we all fall back on, and it helps. It gives you steps in which how you can improve on those things. So, the thing about us is when we experience life, it's so situational. It's so situational to us that we think that every time we, we go through something, we, every time we go through stressful situations, it's us acting in the moment. We don't realize it's a thread. There is a similar pattern which we act in, right? And so, Enneagram kind of shows you, like, hey, you know, you actually operate on a framework that makes sense. You know, you're not just randomly, you know, uh, making decisions whenever something happens to you. There is a pattern in which you act, like the pattern in the way you act. So, tells you how to undo that pattern if it's negative, and it's it's fantastic. And someone who has social anxiety who doesn't understand people, it gives a way to really get a very like easy way to understand someone and break down people and while keeping it very much uh, personal and uh, and you know, have that human touch mm. and you know you, what i mean if yeah. i for example when i say someone is a peacemaker someone's a type nine someone that this person is motivated by peace so they tend to they tend to uh look at everybody's uh, tend to be uh, they understand people's perspectives. They tend to be a, a little more on the, on the give a very serene vibe. So you know what I mean. Like those are very things that easily to, you can pick pick it up quite easily, for, especially for someone who does not understand people very well. And uh, that's why I actually love using it in the work I do. It provides such an easy way to start understanding other people and practicing empathy. And who introduced you to the Enneagram types? It was a very close friend. Uh, he he just I I I I looked at it for like ten minutes. And I was like, into the Myers Briggs anyway. So I kind of chucked it for like a year, and then I just happened to just read it again, and. It was just the right place, right time. And that's the thing about helping, and that's the thing about picking things up, learning new things, 
at the end of the day, it has to be like the information being present is is like fifty percent. The other fifty percent is you need to be ready for it, right? So I wasn't ready for it. I just looked at it. I was like, whatever. And then a year later, I was you know happened to stumble upon it again in a quite in a tough time in my life. And I was like, you know what? Maybe it's gonna help. And boom, like I was just like, okay, this is unbelievable. So yeah, I was just a friend who was a close friend who he he just thought he actually knew me and he. He said, "Asha, I've known you for a couple of years now. You're like the people person. You get people. You understand people. You break people down. This is your thing." And I was like, "Uh huh, really? Okay, cool." Read one page. I was like, "Okay, I'm bored," and I th- chuck it out. You know, what I mean, that's so rude of me, but <laughs> he was right, and I just kind of threw it. I don't know why. I don't know. I was just not <laughs> not there. And um, and if you can tell, like I I did the same. Once I got addicted to Enneagram, I did the exact same thing with my friends. I was like, guys, you guys need to see this. It's so crazy. It's so amazing. And everyone's just like, yeah, why? Okay. And they just just like stop. It, it feels like Asha, you're trying to sell me some insurance, or something like that. Please let it go. I'm not interested. <laughs> so right place, right time. And what type are you? I am a type nine. Uh, so I'm a type nine, which I'm actually the, the example I gave was me. I'm driven by peace, and my my fear is just conflict. So inner peace and conflict uh, are the basic fear, a basic design, a basic fear. So type nines generally have an easy time understanding other people, um, which is why a lot of type nines are therapists. Funny enough, <laughs> um, because. In our in our desire to be able to find inner and external peace, and also our desire to, I mean, our fear of conflict. Naturally, we hone our muscle in having to understand other people because we don't want to cause conflicts,、mm-hmm. right? So, naturally, we also we also、um, you would assume a lot of type nines when we're scared to speak up, scared to. You know, always a little apologetic, always worried of people being upset with them. But in a healthy place, they are the rock for other people. They're just so serene. They can be very much like, you know, a, a, a nice <laughs> an example would be like a nice hippie person. Just <laughs> like it's all good, it's all good. We, we all love each other. Everything's fine, dude. And、um, but I'm not like your typical nine because there's wings, and wings are basically. Uh, so I'm a type nine, and your wings can you have the wings one and wing eight. So the numbers beside you, adjacent to you, would be your wings, and then you, you can you generally some people would have a dominant wing. So my dominant wing is type eight, which is funny because type eights are quite literally the opposite of type nines, which is why a lot of nine wing eight tend to experience internal conflict because eight are that type A just go for it. Bold, dominant, loud. I don't give a shit. I'm saying whatever's on my mind. Fuck you. They're also they they also say like, you know, they also swear a lot. They don't. They just like are leaders, natural born leaders, who also can you know be a little too strong and pushy, but also are incredibly confident. And so you can imagine having a wing, which is basically like having some attributes and desires that are similar to eight. Can be quite harmful for not harmful, very hard to manage for a nine. So I would be like, oh, all peace and love, everything should be, you know. And then suddenly I'm just like, no, and I'm just raising my voice. I I turn to a total like total opposite, just 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 a dickhead. I I became like a dickhead, <laughs> like I, I'm really not a nice person. And then most people around me were just like, where did this where did this come from? I don't I don't it's not you know what I mean. So.、Um, Yeah, nine ring eight. If someone wants to figure out what type they are, what do you recommend them doing? So when I started off, I was like, no one take the tests because the test requires you to. It's it's so heavily influenced by your mood and your、uh, where you are in life and how self aware, how much self work you've done. But I've come to realize that it's you know. So like, I've come to realize that. Tests are not all too bad because even if they might mistype you, they do at least help you.、Um, how the tests usually turn out, the results would be they'll give you all nine types and a percentage of how much you like that type, each type. So it helps you to round off. Like okay, I, like okay, from nine, maybe now you have like I don't know three to look at instead. 
instead of you know the whole nine things. So I recommend doing a test. Uh, there's one test from this website called I think Eclectic Energies or something like this. I can I can give you the link, and anyone who's interested can just go to that link. You can add it. Um, and that has been the one that I've noticed has been the most accurate for me. I've t- tried taking a couple here and there. Um, and that one has been pretty good. It's 14 pages, but you know what? It's it's worth it. It's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> and can you talk a little bit about my type, type three? Ooh, type three. So basically, type threes are driven by their basic uh, desire is to just be to be useful, to have worth, to basically have status, you know, and um, their basic fear is to be like worthless and just you know and just not useful worthless not being able to do anything so type threes generally um are incredibly hardworking and driven they are generally a lot of people call startup types you know the startup type people who own their business they're they're very much type threes like gary v type three type behavior um always are able to find out uh, not they are like workhorses and they're able to find out how to do things as efficiently as fast as possible and it's almost superhuman sometimes the way they work the way they function just like how you always on and <laughs> you're always on <laughs> but they can struggle with being competitive and they can also struggle with basically um losing themselves to they're losing their identity to their achievements so they want to go for they, they, their desire is achievement and status and fame in some cases fame is not always but you know status and achievement and they are all they know how to be very charming right because they know they, their goal is to yeah it's a, to, to be admired by others have achievement and naturally they can chameleon themselves into whatever other people find incredibly successful. And this is not naturally a bad thing, but they can end up losing themselves in the process and not really realizing who they are. So a lot of type threes end up finding themselves like, hey, I've reached all, I've done, I've accomplished everything I wanted to, but I'm not happy because they end up accomplishing what everybody else thinks is the, you know, successful, their version of successful, but not who, what they think is successful. And what does like an unhealthy three look like and a healthy three look like? Um, a healthy three would generally be have a healthy sense of competitiveness, while unhealthy would just be like everything's need to be in the spotlight. I need to be the best, and I need to you know they'll step on people just to get what they want. So their competitive side of them would just take over. Um, a healthy three would not just um, not just ha- have a very nice like amount of competitiveness, but will also bring the people around them with them as well. They have no worry, so they're very supportive. Healthy threes are incredibly they they're just what well, I I know healthy three. So he is just whenever I need any kind of entrepreneurial help, this guy is just like oh let me try to help you out. You know he's just so there because he's like I want to bring everyone. I want to let anyone know how I got where I am. Whereas an unhealthy three would generally be like, not nah, you know, there's only a limited amount of people, and I don't want, I don't want you to take my, away anything of mine. You know what I mean? They're also very selfish with their time if they're unhealthy, and they can also seem very unemotional because they they feel like they really fall back onto the belief that emotions are just slow. They they just they just slow you down. So unhealthy threes would kind of operate on this seemingly like they have no feelings whatsoever right and they don't have that personal touch with the people around them they can overwork themselves and then um not dedicate you know not give enough time to their personal relationships whereas healthy threes are just that kind of leader that you want to be around they're 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 leader they're not a boss they're so charismatic they're basically Gary Vee types. Awesome. Um, what did your transition look like into coaching full time? Uh, there was no transition. It's just I went from nothing to, and then like I went quit the job, did some soul searching, and then decided I'm going to do coaching, and that's my job. That's what I'm going to do now. I, I, it's always like that with me. It's just <laughs> kind of like zero. It's either all or nothing. Yeah. It's not no in between. There's no slow things with me, <laughs> and it's just part of 
who I am. I've always been like this. Like, man, I, and I'm not saying it's the best way. Honestly, I, I think it would have been better if I, if I did something slowly. But I, it's just not not me. I wouldn't be able to. And so were you, were you just went straight from one to the other. And were you scared when you just like left your job, or were you like all in? No, I quit my job for different reasons. I actually mm-hmm. quit my job because I was very unhappy with um, I was very happy with what was going down in my in my previous uh, previous startup. I was just like because I joined as sort of like a partner in some sense, and then I just did not end, like the way things were being run. And I was like, nah, I'm, I don't agree with this. I think this is not a healthy way of running a business. And even I, someone who has no idea how to run a business, I'm like, I know this ain't it. And, and um, so I quit. And I didn't actually quit with a plan. I quit without one, which is very much uh, just me. It's not like, it's not something to be like, wow, she quit that plan. No, it's just like, I just, it was no, there's no planning whatsoever. And just as who I am, like when, even when I decided to quit my school, I was starting in sports science for a while and decided to go full time into being a freelance copywriter. Um, it was not a slow transition. It was just, I'm going to jump from one to the other. And what are other tools do you use when you're coaching? A lot of it's just the frameworks I built um, myself, specifically for for social anxiety. But right now, I also use Four Tendencies, which is basically this tool where people, uh, where this woman basically she created a framework of how people function according to their habits, how they make goals and stick to them. And it was a beautiful read, actually, her book, Four Tendencies. I just read it within a couple of days. It's just, I mean, it's not a big, it's not a long book, but it was just so fun to read because the Four Tendencies is basically, um, she's mentioning, it's very interesting how some people can, can make a goal and stick to it, um, whether it's for themselves or for their work. Some people can, can stick to a goal when it's for their company or for this, for, for like a group, but when it's for themselves, they can't do it. Some people can, do a can do like a, can hit a goal and do these habits like religiously only if they're convinced of it and then some people like no matter what like no matter what whether it's for work or for themselves they just can't do anything like they can't be forced to do anything they can't keep those habits and she basically said these are four and she categorized them to four different types of people who basically set their goals and ha- and stick to their habits very differently and they run on their own framework which makes sense to who they are and it was fascinating because uh, it was it was addictive because it, again, like Enneagram, it made sense. I was like, oh my goodness, you're right. <laughs> it, it is like that. And um, for example, I so the so obliger sorry not obliger upholders are the people who can stick to habits and goals regardless of whether it's for themselves or for other people. So these are the people who you know whether it's for work, like they're always hitting goals. They're always on time. They're always doing things according to processes. And whether if they say they're going to start losing weight, if they say they're going to stick to a goal, like personal goal, no one's watching, they're going to do it. Right? So these people are like, no problem. Anything, whether any, whether it's for someone or for myself, I can stick it. So I still stick to it. And these are called inner and outer expectations. So outer expectations, yeah, you can imagine it's for people like, you know, uh, for home, whether it's at work, school, whatever it is, inner expectations is just uh, whatever you want for yourself. So upholders can stick to inner and outer. For obligers, they can stick to outer expectations, but not inner expectations. So obligers can, you know, they're great if they're in a group doing anything for other people. Yeah, 100%. But when it comes to themselves, no, they can't, they cannot stick to a single goal. I know a, an obliger who she, anything for work, she's like, yep, anything you need me to do, I will, I, I've sold my soul to you, anything you want. But as soon as she's like, I need to lose some weight for herself, she's, she can't, she can't do anything whatsoever. <laughs> Any goal she has for herself, it's just done. But she's like sold her soul to her company. Mm-hmm. Whereas an, uh, I'm a rebel, so that's me. And like rebel can't hit inner or outer expectations. So this, you would think these people just kind of get anything done, but no, they actually, um, they may have trouble hitting in an expert and outer expectations, but when they're motivated, when they aligns to who they are, they can be incredibly driven. And they also like to think out of the box. 
And the last one is questioner. So they can't hit outer expectations, but they can hit inner expectations. So until they're convinced of something, they are not going to do it. So these are people at workplace who are just like, why, why, why must it be done like this? Why, why? So if 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 you, you know what I mean? Like if, if they're convinced of anything, they can just stick to it and go. So using this, figuring out my clients, like, okay, what, where do you fall on this one? Creating action steps, using that method, figuring out which, uh, which of the four they are. It helps me, for example, if they're an obliger, now we know we need to set out external expectations so that they can, they can, they can actually get it done. If you're a rebel, I know that I can have to phrase the way, my, the action set, I can phrase it a certain way so that it's receptive to you. If you're an upholder, I have no problem. And if you're a questioner, whenever I tell you to do something, I got to come up, I got to let you know the, the logic behind it so that you can get it done. Instead of just telling you, like, get it done. Which type are you? Uh, rebel. Mm-hmm. I'm a rebel. So mm-hmm. uh, inner and external uh, expectations, I can't hit. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, when I first read the book, I was like, oh, man, that is, that is not a good one. I don't mm-hmm. see how they would get anything done. But then she actually managed to, 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 men- to mention like, oh, wow, they actually the types that like to think outside, outside the box. And when they're inspired, they can get so much done. And I'm like, okay, that sounds about right. But also they're hard to deal with. Uh, working with them is just not very fun because, yeah, I've noticed working with me cannot be fun because if you tell me to do something, if I, you know, I've also had that questioner's tendency where it's like, if I don't, if I don't feel inspired by it and I don't agree with it, like it's going to have a hard time. You're going to have a hard time making me do it, which is why I most, I also like the reasons why I went to coaching because I'm like, I don't think, I don't think it's, I think I'll be, I work best alone. And what's the biggest challenge that you see a lot of your clients facing? When it comes to social anxiety, it's just the simple, it, it ranges. Like some people can't even get out of the house. Some people, I, and I know where that's like, they can't even pick up the phone. They can't, I used to not be able to leave the house and go grocery shopping mm. unless someone was with me to distract me from all the information I couldn't process. I was just, I was just over, like my brain was on overload. And then, yeah, some people would also have issues where it's like they have some close friends, but they're still the shy person. They still can't speak up in class or can't speak up in work, at work. And generally, like the biggest one I would say is they have no idea how to, what to do when they meet someone new. Whether on a, whether it's dating, like they have no idea how to talk to someone. What how to what do I say and 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 how do I make it a good com an interesting conversation? How do I not screw up and embarrass myself? So it's it's yeah that that's the biggest one because I guess that's where the most uh, your reputation is on the line the most when it's in front of someone right yeah mm-hmm. it's very tough when it's tough to go like when you're struggling with going to a grocery store or struggling to pick up the phone but when you're interacting with another person that's when if you screw up it's like wow directly someone is watching you right now and that is the rejection hurts the most on that front. And have you noticed that people who have never struggled with anxiety are struggling with anxiety right now or? Say again? Have you noticed that people in the past who have like never struggled with anxiety, all of a sudden they have anxiety right now due to like what's happening in the world? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, there's two types of clients I have. One who who were born with social anxiety and then the other who developed a social anxiety after experiencing a pretty like traumatic event either a one-time event or something that happened over a period of time which made them question their entire reality of and their social ability so um yeah i've met someone who people i definitely have worked with people who who develop social anxiety sometimes even close to adulthood and it's it's interesting because once they develop it, once they like, they experience something where just like, oh, I can't handle the situation, and people are thinking a certain way of me, which is weird. I would never used to be that way. Oh wait, was I always like this? And then they now backtrack. So now they, they what they believe of themselves, they're like, oh, I, I'm not capable of participating in this in social interaction, and people think I'm weird. Now they think they, the, what these thoughts, and they apply it to the to their past. So they feel like, oh, my entire reality is being questioned now. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's that's a very it's a very painful to go through because now you just you don't know what's left and right basically. So yes, you can develop social anxiety um, after a while as well. People who who were born, they were fine, they had friends, and then it just hits them. And what's your favorite part of your business? The favorite part, I think, is. when I'm talking to people who struggle with social anxiety and they ask me a question and something like about how to do this. So how to, you know, uh, a specific situation and it's something new. I've never heard of before, like a specific situation, like or a specific scenario I've never heard of before. And on the spot, I have to think of how can I explain it to this person in a way that is easily, easily digestible. Because I've seen so many people with a way they're like, be confident. Oh, you just have to do this. Like, it's so vague. <laughs> but I had to break. I want to, I enjoy the process of breaking it down into super practical steps. Like, I have, it's, I've not, I've yet to see, for example, how to have a conversation, the anatomy of a great conversation. Why is that not broken down? Most people are just like, oh, just ask people, um, just talk about, ask them about themselves. You know, everybody loves talking about themselves, which is great. The advice is sound. However, that's not enough. If you're just going to ask someone about them, it's going to feel like an interview. If you're just going to ask, what do you do? Tell me about yourself. Tell me about your hobbies. And it's going to seem a bit creepy, frankly. Like, it's going to be boring and a little bit creepy because all you're doing is asking questions about them and not giving input. So... I, I seriously enjoy breaking stuff down like this because it seems so intangible and it seems so natural to some people that when I experienced uh, a client asking me some question, like, how do I approach this? I love the, the, how I can break it down for them and they can be like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Okay, I'm going to apply it this way. Mm-hmm. And I also I think, I think another one, I'm going to give you two instead, is... Um, the fact that I genuinely believe that people with social anxiety have a capacity for being better than average when it comes to forming relationships and being a conversationalist. Anyone who meets me now will never believe that I could not even pick up the phone and I had panic attacks uh, from leaving the house. No one will believe that. No one believed that like I was the weird kid at school, barely even went to school. And then when I did, I actually was so invisible that I would have the teacher calling out uh, attendance in the morning and then they would call out my name. And then my, I would actually hear students be like, oh, she's not here today because they genuinely don't even recognize them. <laughs> they realize I'm there. And it happens so many times. I'm like, I'm, I'm right here. Like, come on. So I was that invisible, that awkward, that, you know, that. And then suddenly now, for a while, like I became known as this girl who is the people person. So I'm, I, and I, I fully attribute that to the fact that I have social anxiety because as a result of not having an idea of what to do, I became so methodical about, uh, like my, my approach to it was so methodical and was so active. It wasn't just naturally I was, I did it. It was this conscious effort that. I use the my weaknesses and I grew out of it. And that's my favorite part is getting people who, to realize, like, I know you feel like a big loser right now. And you're like, all you want is to hope for an average, decent, normal social life. But I can promise you, you're going to get way more than that if you put the effort. And seeing that and seeing them apply it and, and have success is probably, yeah, that's where it's really exciting. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to talk for a little bit about your marriage. If you could tell us like the backstory of your relationship and all that. Well, um, yeah, I, 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 as you can imagine, an awkward kid. So I never really, I didn't really date. And when Tinder came out, I was just like, hell yeah, I get to talk to people without talking to people. This is amazing. And so I downloaded it. And, um, I met two people and it kind of went all right, I guess. Third person, I was like, oh my goodness, you're the one. And I completely fell head over heels in love with the guy. And, um, six months later, I married him, (laughs) which is ridiculous. Uh, everyone found it ridiculous, but at the same time, I was also never like the person, a very normal kid to them in the first place. So there's like, whatever, let this girl do what she wants to do. So yeah, I, 
I ma- got married, and I'm this girl from Singapore with you know relatively conservative beliefs, and he was a um, nomad hippie from Canada. So he introduced me to a lot of concepts, a lot of new things. He's the one who brought, who introduced me to the entrepreneurship and freelancing that world in the first place. Because before that, I just thought that's you know you just go to school and you get a degree, then you get your master's, and you know the whole thing. Um, and he introduced me to this thing called polyamory as well. And we ended up trying that out, which was the the weirdest and the hardest thing to do. <laughs> it was just very odd. And we were polyamorous for a little while. Um, he had a girlfriend. I had a boyfriend. It was it was it was something else for sure. It was a it was an interesting experience. <laughs> and I even went up on stage to talk about it uh, in in here in Singapore as uh, one of the story slam. I was I don't know if you know what story slam is. It's just this. Um, Basically, you go up and talk about a real life story about yourself. Usually, it's once a month, and I went out and they had and they have a monthly like topic, and you have to go up there and talk about a real life story that pertains to the subject, the, the topic of the month. And they also had like a whole, whole competition for the best storytellers of the year. And I was in there, and I went up and I talked about polyamory. Yeah. And it didn't really work out so well between me and my husband um, because, and we ended up splitting because I was very young when I married him in the first place. So, uh, and then I still really care for him. I love him to death and he knows that. But uh, usually what they say when people marry young is that, you know, sometimes people grow out and go to different people. And that's really kind of what happened on our end. Um, and so this is a shit show of the twenties, right? So yeah. like one of the biggest things is I want to mention that's like, you know, I still really care for him. I still love him to death. In fact, most people who hear me talk about my husband, they're just like, oh, you sound like you really care for the guy a lot still. And I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I do. And nobody told me that's how that shit works. Nobody told me that, hey, you know, you might just outgrow someone. And still give a shit about them so much, like, <laughs> and um, that can totally happen, and it did, and it's it's just so painful. Uh, but but I still care for the guy, and I I'll, we just grew into different people. I mean, I'm the one who initiated it, so as you imagine, it was a lot more painful for him. So not a lot more, but it was incredibly painful for him. But um, so anyone who's listening to this to who wants to learn, I mean. No one's no one's gonna be able to stop you once you're in love. You're in love, right? But just realize that there's a completely uh, there's a possibility. Don't be surprised by it. Like that you are so hit or killed in someone, and that love does not go away. But your desire to be in a relationship, a romantic relationship, might go away. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's that's you know, I I I wish I just wish it just ended at some kind of like traumatic like I don't know we were both just fell out of love with each other I just hated each other's guts and I that would I, I I'm not saying that's great but I'm saying it would be such a clean cut in my head and it would be such a clean cut in his head but the fact that it's not is, is it has its own set of challenges that did not really do well for my next relationship mm-hmm. because I still care for him you know mm-hmm how yeah. did you deal with jealousy while you guys were polyamorous? Oh, we did not. We did not, girl. We were not <laughs> one of those who were like, "Yeah, I love seeing, I love seeing my partner." No, with another partner, it's not. No, hundred percent. No, no, no. Especially me. Actually, I was just a hell of a jealous person, and I think it was the only way I managed to be okay with the jealousy. If I, if you could ever say, I was never really okay with it. But the way, it, uh, what really helped was getting to know who he was dating. Mm-hmm. Like I actually became friends with his girlfriend, and that helped a lot. Like because she's just a, she was this adorable girl, and I was just like, okay, man. Like you know, it's so it's when you when you're hearing like they have he has a girlfriend, and you never met this person. It just you, all sorts of things goes in your head. Like 
but when you meet this person, you see like she's just a cute chick who's just like whatever. She has her own dreams, her own fears, her own whatevs. That really like just humanizes the whole thing. And so jealousy on that front was just like I mean, like still till now, my ex husband and my ex boyfriend, who was the boyfriend I was with when I was uh, with him. Still, we all have an Instagram group, and we still send memes and shit to each other. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like once you get to know the other person, you're just like, ah, I guess. And we were all in our twenties as well, so it's just like, you know, this type of experimental shit. It's the point of your twenties. Like, you might, not, I mean, you don't need to try it, but like, it's it's not. <laughs> it's just like whatever, man. Like, we're all people here, and so I guess when you when you get to know the people, it becomes a lot easier. And what advice would you give your twenty-year-old self? Um, I think the biggest advice I would give my twenty-year-old self is so. This is very specific to me, but it was learn to be alone first. Learn to be alone first. Like it, even though I. Uh, as, a, as a type nine as well, I realized that I hadn't fully formed the uh, independence of being alone and finding out who I am. And it's so generic; it sounds really generic, but it really was kind of when I met my husband, my ex-husband, I molded into him as much as possible. I mean, not not in, in a way where I still was Asha, but. I took. I didn't have my own needs and desires. I mean, I did. I just didn't. I wasn't aware of them, right? And I think spend some time alone. Like once you, yeah, like get to know yourself. Don't um, don't 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 jump from relationship to relationship. Like I can't. Yeah. So the best advice I would say is like learn how to live on your own first. Like spend some time. Make a living for yourself before getting into relationship, and I think another one would be, it would be you don't have to be in a relationship with someone you really care about. <laughs> like sometimes I feel like shit. You know, a relationship kind of ruined what could have been a much um, more nurturing friendship. You know what I mean.、Mm-hmm. So, especially in your twenties, if you are someone who is, you've noticed like, so I have a friend, a longtime friend, who she is in a relationship with her first boyfriend, and and they've been together for like eight years, something like that. And it fits her personality type. It fits both of their personality type. They're really easygoing, kind of. They like their routines. They like they like doing. You know what I mean? Like on my end, I'm just like jumping from job to job. I'm like traveling around the world. I'm just doing all this random crazy shit and trying polyamory. And like you know what I mean? When when I'm when you realize that like looking at yourself, girl, like you clearly are trying to you know that you are so experimental. You're always doing things that are you know up and down. So maybe when that's kind of how you're functioning. Don't think about having a long time relate long term relationship because you don't even know what the hell you want. You don't know how you function. You're figuring it out. So that was what I would say. If you're the type of person that clearly jumps around a lot, does crazy shit, tries new things all the time, even when you meet someone who who seemingly does the same thing, a long term relationship is don't wait wait just wait. Stay friends. Stay friends until that you know like. You realize that you're kind of like I know who I am.、I、have some grasp of who I am. Are there any questions you wish I would have asked you? Some questions I wish you would have asked me. What an interesting question! <laughs> my God. Oh my God. Huh. I realize how this, this I could answer this, and it just comes off as I'm so full of myself, right? What a trick question! You just came up with a trick question.、Bro. What is this? What is this? I feel like I'm in an interview right now. <laughs> it's these questions. You feel like you wish I asked? 
Yeah, I wish you asked why. How did you get so amazing? I shall explain and tell the audience. I wish you asked me about this part of my life so I can tell you about how. Okay, um, I think you did a really. I I can't even imagine like what what you've asked such a good question. Um, no, for now I can't. I wish you. I wish I could ask you some questions actually. <laughs> This is your interview, though. <laughs> yeah, I wish like. Hmm. Oh, I think maybe. Um, I wish you asked about for anyone who's thinking about starting coaching. Like, what do you want to tell them in terms of fear-wise? Because mm-hmm. I am like, this is the scariest shit I've ever done in my life. Really, mm-hmm. I I'll, I'll go through poly all over again, but then, so that I don't go through this. And how would you answer that question? Do I answer this question? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I am not a salesperson. I've always said like I don't sell. I don't like sales. I don't like putting myself in front of a camera, especially with the social anxiety. You imagine like I hate putting myself in front of a camera, and yet being a coach, having to be get clients and do this work, it requires me to constantly put myself in front of a camera and constantly sell. And no, it doesn't have to be bad or hard selling. It has to be it's authentic selling, but it is still selling. It is still putting yourself forward, saying, "Hey, I can help you," and people telling you, "Like, screw off! I don't want your help. Why are you trying to sell me?" And then also getting like, "Oh my god, thank you so much! I needed this all my life." And that kind of rejection that you're constantly put, like putting yourself in front of is a, is is it's not just. A, a nightmare to someone who a, a normal person. It's a nightmare. It's even more of a nightmare. It's like the it's like hell for someone who struggles with social anxiety, being rejected constantly, and especially because it's the the work is me. I'm the person who's you know I'm not selling a product. I'm selling me. So for someone who's starting, like just know it is the what I've learned is that anything that makes me uncomfortable. Anytime I feel uncomfortable, I feel like I don't want to do this. I I recognize that feeling and and made that feeling basically like that. When I feel that feeling, I know that's what I need to do. I've made that like my motivator. Like whenever I don't want to do something, I'm like I I get a、ah, shit now. It means I gotta do it. You know what I mean?、Yeah. Like whenever I feel like oh maybe I should just post a Facebook post instead of. Doing a Facebook live, I'm like, oh, I feel good about that. Ah,、uh-uh. ah, I guess I got the Google Facebook live then because I feel good about doing a Facebook post. So I think that would be the biggest tip I would give. Like, identify anything that makes you very uncomfortable and make that be the what, make that be how you the next steps you take. Not don't question it. Don't be like, oh, if I don't feel like doing it, I guess it means that I'm already or this and that. Not if you're comfortable doing something, that should be what you do next. Awesome, and where can people connect with you? They can connect with me on Facebook, actually.、Uh, my website as well, ashajacob dot com.、Um, you can check me out on Instagram. I just started one after two years off, so still got a baby account, but you know, whatever. <laughs> so I got so ashajacobcoaching is. The Instagram ashajacob.com is the website, or you can just check me out on Facebook. That's where I'm most active. Awesome.、Uh, and you can search me up. So facebook.com/ashajacob87. Great. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you guys so much for listening. I would love if you guys can leave me a review on iTunes, and please feel free to share this episode with anyone you think it would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.